This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington, and this week on Face the Nation, the government's plan to vaccinate Americans is already showing signs of strain as the number of coronavirus cases and deaths climbs higher than ever and concern over a new variant of the virus grows. It's been a sobering start to 2021. Bad behavior over the holidays, as defined by CDC guidelines, threatens to make January the deadliest month yet in the year since the virus was discovered. The U.S. has now recorded over 20 million infections, a number that's doubled in the last eight weeks. In some parts of the country, hospitals, morgues, and funeral homes are at or over capacity. Healthcare workers are overwhelmed. I don't know. Um, things are pretty bad. Things are really bad. Please, everyone, do your part. Wear a mask, stay home, and help us reduce the strain on us because we need help. Pictures of people waiting in long lines are now of those desperate for a COVID-19 shot. Even though that there's a there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy, there's still a strong desire from people to get the vaccine. But there is chaos and lack of coordination at all levels with the vaccine distribution. Even those in charge of the effort say it's not a question of availability. There's a learning curve into the system and we're going through it, particularly a number of days have been quote unquote lost because of the holidays or snowstorms. We'll talk with the chief advisor of Operation Warp Speed, Dr. Monsef Slawi. Plus, we'll hear from Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti. His city is ground zero for the holiday COVID-19 surge. Arkansas Republican Governor Asa Hutchinson will also join us, as well as former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb and the head of the association representing tens of millions of America's seniors, AARP's Joanne Jenkins. Then, a preview of Tuesday's Georgia runoff elections. Those outcomes will determine control of the Senate. Will the state that went from red to blue in November see enough Democrats turn out to defeat not one, but two Republican senators? It's all just ahead on Face the Nation.
Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. As we begin the new year, optimism over the prospect of vaccinations is facing the reality of delays, confusion, lack of communication, and once more, a federal government seemingly without a coherent plan for making the millions of doses already manufactured accessible to Americans. Overwhelmed states, many struggling with this latest surge, have been left in charge of getting the vaccine to Americans, and they're having a hard time doing so. Meanwhile, the death toll continues to climb. More than 350,000 people have now died of COVID-19 in the U.S. California is the new epicenter of this latest outbreak. CBS News correspondent Carter Evans reports from Los Angeles. With a new year comes new hope. But while vaccinations are underway across the nation. It means seeing my grandkids. A lot. Yeah, it means everything. They're not happening fast enough. The Trump administration promised 20 million doses would be given by the end of 2020. But the CDC says just over 4 million people have been inoculated. Part of the problem is finding enough medical professionals to administer the shots. The local boards of health have been uh, overworked. Uh, a lot of them are understaffed. And there's the time involved, including a 15 to 30 minute observation period after the shot is given. Another delay, vaccine skepticism. A new survey finds 29% of healthcare workers are vaccine hesitant. The growing COVID surge is pushing hospitals in Southern California to the breaking point. Things are pretty bad. Things are really bad. We're overwhelmed, we're stressed, we're, we're stretched so thin. It's pretty unimaginable. Some hospitals in the epicenter of L.A. County are already diverting ambulances. Others are preparing emergency plans for rationing care. And now the Army Corps of Engineers is mobilizing to update oxygen delivery systems at hospitals in L.A. New COVID cases here are up almost 1,000% since November. One in every five people tested is now positive, and statewide, COVID kills someone every three minutes. Morgues are overflowing, the dead now filling refrigerated trucks outside. Across the country in North Carolina, workers are setting up field hospitals, preparing for a new surge after the holidays. Same story in Atlanta, where they're converting the convention center into a medical center again. Today marks the end of the busy holiday travel period. The TSA says in the last two weeks, it's screened more than 11 million passengers. That plus the tens of millions who likely traveled by road, has experts concerned another surge may be coming right about the time President-elect Joe Biden is being sworn in. Margaret. Carter Evans, thanks. Around the world, other countries, most notably Israel, are outpacing the U.S. when it comes to vaccinating their populations. As a percentage of population, Israel stands at 12.6 percent, while the U.S. is at just 1 percent, behind Bahrain, Iceland and the U.K. CBS News senior foreign correspondent Liz Palmer reports from London. Good morning. Those numbers point to the inequality of access to vaccine around the world. At this point, the developed countries with 13% of the population have locked in more than half of the world's vaccine supply. 
It's India's giant pharmaceutical manufacturers that will be key to making enough vaccines. Hundreds of millions of doses for the world, especially developing countries, and of course for itself. The Indian government staged a dry run for a gargantuan program that will try to inoculate a million and a half people a day. You see how short of breath you are. But as vaccinations gathered speed, so did the virus. Extra contagious strains, one of them in South Africa, have pushed up the death rate alarmingly. So it's scary. It's scary for us all. One in London has hit hard too, and hospitals are at full capacity. So it was a huge relief when regulators approved the cheap and easily stored Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine just before the new year. Tomorrow it will be rolled out in Britain with such urgency that for now people will only get one shot of it or the Pfizer vaccine instead of the recommended two to make supplies go further. Israel's vaccine program is in full swing. It hopes to be the first country in the world to immunize all its citizens by sometime in March. That's likely to be before some countries in Africa even get started. COVID ruined most New Year's parties. In London, small groups of people hoping for fireworks were chased away by mounted police. But here and there, as in Taiwan, where COVID is firmly under control, crowds welcomed what the rest of the world so craves, a healthy 2021. Widespread and truly global vaccine has to be well underway before things like safe travel for all of us can resume. And epidemiologists say that's not likely to happen until at least 2023. Margaret? Liz Palmer, thank you. We want to go now to the chief advisor for the U.S. vaccine effort. That's Operation Warp Speed. Dr. Monsef Slawi joins us from Miami. Good morning to you, doctor. Good morning, Margaret. Uh, have U.S. officials gotten any insight into how this more contagious version of the virus that's detected in the U.K. and South Africa, what the impact is? We know it's from the U.K., at least, that version is in at least three U.S. states. Yes, so that's the information we have. The virus, this virus actually mutates as part of its normal behavior, and therefore it is normal to expect that there will be variants. What's very important is to study those variants and understand how infectious they are, whether they have more impact in terms of morbidity or mortality, and critically now, whether they are still sensitive to the vaccines that have been developed. And on those three counts, based on the information shared with us by the UK scientists and early data that we have here, we think that these viruses, these virus variants should be under control with this vaccine. Fortunately, they are not more uh, uh, deadly to mm -hmm. the population. They are more infectious and therefore they will further exacerbate the surge that we are having. Well, there are reports though in the UK that more children are becoming ill. From the models you've seen, what does this new virus strain do to children? Well, it's, I mean, its capacity to spread is uh, higher. Frankly, I'm. I'm not very clear about the data showing a differential in accelerated spread between adults and children, but the fact of the matter is it will spread faster into the population. I think it should be uh, 
uh, a signal again to say what we need to do as a population is wear masks, distance ourselves, wash our hands, be very aware mm -hmm. of people around us and continue to be very careful around the transmission. This will yes. continue to happen. The key to the solution is vaccination. Well, let's get to that solution then, uh, because it is the fastest vaccine development in Western history. Congratulations to you as overseeing that part of it. Now we're at the really complicated part of actually getting it to Americans. Um, the president twice this week has blamed the states for failing to distribute it. Um, if they're not up to the task, what are you doing at Operation Warp Speed to help them? Well, first, as you said, I think let's me, let me acknowledge the progress that's been made, which has been remarkable, and it's the work of tens of thousands or probably hundreds of thousands of people to have been able to have five vaccines in phase three trials, two approved, probably one more to be approved in the next four to six weeks, uh, and 20 million doses of vaccines, as we, as we had promised, would be made available to the American people to be immunized with, have been made available. 17 and a half million have been shipped. Right, but only now, a third of them have actually been used. So that's, that's where yes, the rubber meets the road. We need to improve. Exactly. So what we are you doing to in states to help that. them? I, so we have visited actually the states, and I know you have the governor from Arkansas with you uh, later on today. We, General Pern and myself, have visited the Department of Health in Arkansas. We have explained the process. This was on October 26. Arkansas has actually ordered from the Central uh, Reserve about 150,000 doses of the vaccine. 120-some thousands have been delivered to the actual locations that they have told us. Therefore, our assumption has been that there is a plan in place to immunize. We stand by here to help any specific request, we will do the best we can, as we have done over the last eight months, to make these vaccines indeed make it into the arms of people. But right. we need to have a specific ask, and maybe there will be one later on today. I'm, well, there we will ask him about that. But, specific but, requests. but sir, I, I know you know what these numbers are right now. We are at a peak level of infection. So figuring out the bureaucracy yeah. seems to be uh, you know, frustrating for people here because they want it now. So what about jump-starting yes. the plan you have in place? You know, CVS and Walgreens say they have, they are expecting to get the vaccine in the spring to distribute to the population at large. Why not give it to them now? If the states are having a problem, go to the private sector. Well, we, as you know, we have agreement with CVS and Walgreens, and we are starting to ship vaccines to those locations as allocated by the states. That's really the key point. Right, uh, but that's in, the, in the problem, isn't it? Taken. That's what I'm saying. Like, why can't you help I don't think it's a problem, that? frankly. Actually, well, we are here to help. Let me just, for instance, say over the last 72 hours, 1.5 million vaccine doses have been inoculated. Even though there is a gap in reporting, that's quite an important number, that's 500,000 a day. We are optimistic as we go beyond this holiday season that the numbers will go up. Mm -hmm. And we are standing ready to do what we are asked, where there is help to be given, we're standing by to help. I don't think we are able to identify exactly which long-term care facility or which CVS store should be getting more vaccine or less vaccine. That has to be done with people that have granular knowledge of their population their movements, where the older people are or, you know, the, right. the, the various groups at okay. risk. And then we'll be there with them. 
Okay, so you're saying that still has to be up to the states to figure out where they have the need. But let's talk about the portion you can control, and that is the federal supply. If the goal is preservation of life, how can you still justify holding back more than half of the manufactured doses that you have? You know, you, we just heard from the UK that they're just trying to hit as many people at once. Why not do something like that and space out the time between doses? Yes. So, uh, a scientific answer and then an alternative. I think it's not reasonable when vaccines have been developed with two doses given 21 days apart or 28 days given apart, and where we have the data on their safety and their efficacy. And we have no, uh, after two doses, we have no data after one dose if we leave people a month, two months, three months with maybe incomplete immunity waning immunity, maybe even the wrong kind of immune response induced that is then corrected but by the second dose. But they've got zero immunity right now. Them, well, it is, we, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you the alternative in one second. Just let me finish the point I'm making, which is we always said that these vaccines will be developed on the basis of science and all decisions will be made transparently on the basis of data. Changing the decisions made, the choices made, which was to give two doses of vaccine. The second dose gives you 10 times high, higher immune response mm -hmm. than the first dose. Without any data, I think would not be responsible. Here is the alternative. We know that for the Moderna vaccine, giving half the dose to people between the age of 18 and 55, two doses, half the dose, which means exactly achieving the objective of immunizing double the number of people with the doses we have. We know it induces identical immune response to the 100 microgram dose. And therefore, we are in discussion with Moderna and with the FDA. Of course, ultimately, it will be an FDA decision to accelerate okay. injecting half the volume. I think that's a more responsible approach that will be based on facts and data to okay. immunize more people. And, and of course, we continue to produce more vaccine doses. Yeah. And quickly, do you have a date for when you will know whether once you've been vaccinated, you can still give the virus to others? Is there any timeline? So that those no, those studies, frankly, are going to be based on observational uh, data into the population. I don't think we will have data before late in the spring. Okay. But I can't give you an exact date. Dr. Slawi, thank you for your time this morning. The mayor of Los Angeles, one of the cities struggling with the pandemic. Uh, Eric Garcetti is our guest. Good morning to you. Good morning, Margaret. Good to be with you. You are at the epicenter of this outbreak right now. Um, and I saw you said a high percentage of deaths are among people with no underlying conditions. Why is the virus so deadly right now? Well, we're seeing a person every six seconds um, contract COVID-19 here in Los Angeles County, uh, the nation's largest county, 10 million people. And it's two reasons. One is just simple density. We're the densest metro area uh, in the United States. But we're also seeing the household spread now. One person is coming home, an essential worker. There might be five, seven, ten people in that household. And this is a worrying trend that the fatalities now are not just people with pre-existing conditions. 92% of previous deaths were people who had an underlying condition. That is rapidly falling. So my message to everybody is this is not only going to come for somebody that you love, this is going to possibly come for you. And so mm -hmm. everything we do is either life-saving or life-taking at this point. Is the higher incidence of death due in any way to the fact that you have a shortage of medical personnel? 
There's no question that we have a shortage of medical personnel, but that's not yet why we think those deaths are happening. We think it is spreading. It may be mutating as well, but we do believe that this is just how widespread it is and that a lot of people who are younger or don't have pre-existing conditions have become very comfortable. This is a virus that preys off of our weakness, preys off of our exhaustion. 95% of people can be doing the right thing. It's still dangerous. Mm -hmm. If 80% are doing the right thing, it is disastrous. So while we have high compliance here, we still have these tough months. And I think the vaccine has made everybody so hopeful that they can relax their behavior. We cannot, we cannot let up. This is the darkest month. We will have the toughest moment when both our country, its government and the nation, our people will be tested. You have a mask mandate. I mean, you're saying that some people are just not complying with some of the restrictions you've put in place. You had that targeted stay at home order in early December. Do you think that you waited too long to institute that? No, we have great compliance. We look at our data. People are moving less. Um, I was talking to the head of the Red Cross out here who just moved from another state. She was blown away by how many people wore masks compared to where she was coming from. This is something now that really is spreading in the home. Uh, and once you get past that tipping point, and it's a message for all of America, we might not all have the same density as Los Angeles, but what's happening in Los Angeles can and will be coming to many communities across America. If you get two households together for Christmas, mm -hmm. if you went to a New Year's gathering, even if it was people you know and love, so you thought it was okay, that's when this virus exploits that weakness and is going far. LA was the first place to close uh, places down that, where people meet, have a mask mandate, offer widespread testing to folks with or without symptoms, surge into our senior and skilled nursing facilities where yeah. we uh, arrested most of the deaths there. We've done everything right, but this virus doesn't care what you've done in the past, only what you're doing today. What about the vaccine that is being distributed now? You've publicly called for the vaccine manufacturers and the federal government to deliver more, but it's your governor who controls the distribution. Is he not giving you what you need? No, we, we have not been delivered what was promised at the national level. I mean, I know and thank God for the great work that was done nationally. Let me give that praise for developing and helping uh, the private sector get these vaccines. But we are at a pace right now to deliver vaccines in Los Angeles over five years instead of over half a year. Right. But you just pace. heard the head of Operation Warp Speed lay that firmly at the door of the governors in this country. Well, I respectfully disagree because I said six months ago, calling with Senator Chris Coons and a bipartisan coalition in Washington for a CARE Corps, a CARES Corps that would have trained people for all sorts of things, including vaccine distribution. While Washington dithered, while they went on vacations, while they didn't pass um, a relief bill for seven or eight months, we could right. have been training out-of-work folks and students to be ready. We knew that the surge was coming in the winter. We also knew that the same medical personnel who would need to give the vaccines if we were lucky to get them by the end of the year, and we did, would also be pulled into those hospitals to treat people. Yeah. Where was the forward planning? Well, the federal government keeps saying the forward planning was supposed to be with local government. Um, and the city of Los Angeles, we know, you, you were talking about the uniqueness of your city uh, in terms of density. You also have a high homeless population. You've had 16% rise in the year past. Well, how are you planning to deal with that problem and getting vaccine into yeah. those members of your community? Because that's, that's your problem as mayor. Absolutely. And we've uh, actually had a lower incidence of COVID-19 among our unhoused population than those of us in housing because of the way we did plan and we did bring medical personnel to the streets and we have distributed masks. And that is a great platform to help 
make sure that vaccines are going to go to the most vulnerable. In fact, this week we stood up three and we're about to do four more, seven community walk-up vaccine sites for folks that are working right now in some of our community clinics, working on places like Skid Row. But to go to your point earlier, the federal government can't tell the local governments and state governments to do something and not give us aid. Yeah. We were cut out of that federal assistance that we could have put into. I said the CARES Corps would have been yeah. not federal people coming in, but local folks hiring locally, and they failed okay. to do that. Uh, Governor, we wish you well, and I know, I know your daughter was recently ill. I hope she is recovering. Thank you for your time. She is. The House will convene today in a rare Sunday session to swear in the new Congress. But one person who will not be there is Louisiana Republican Luke Letlow. He died last week of COVID-19. The congressman was 41 years old with a wife, two small children, and no pre-existing conditions. We'll be back in a moment. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to Face the Nation. We want to go now to Governor Asa Hutchinson of Arkansas, who is also the vice chair of the Nationals Gov National Governors Association. He joins us from Little Rock. Good morning to you, Governor. Uh, good morning, Margaret. Good to be with you. Uh, I'm glad we have you today to talk about the vaccine and distribution. I want to quickly ask you something, though, on the political front as a Republican. Nearly a quarter of Senate Republicans say they have concerns about voter integrity and plan on Wednesday to challenge Joe Biden's electoral college win. This is, to be very clear, all but certain to fail in terms of changing the outcome of the election. Uh, but other Republican senators say this is destructive to do in the first place. Where do you stand? Well, it's a, a process that they have the right to uh, initiate. I think it's a little bit of a Don Quixote uh, jousting at windmills efforts. I think it is designed, uh, certainly it will fail. Uh, Joe Biden is our president-elect and he will be confirmed in that capacity. Uh, I do think that from a state perspective, uh, the challenges have been initiated through recounts and court challenges. And that's how we work in our electoral college, state by state. And so when it gets to Congress, it's really a limited opportunity to review uh, the intricacies of the election process. We should have confidence in what has been done and the reviews and the recounts. And uh, let's uh, all recognize that uh, while the system is not perfect, it worked uh, state by state. 
and we should accept those results and move on uh, to do some good things for our country. So I understand you do not support that effort. Thank you uh, for your clarification there. Governor, I want to move on to the virus. The CDC says Arkansas has only distributed a third of the vaccines that you have been given. What's the biggest challenge getting the doses into arms? Well, a number of challenges, uh, and we've got to do better, uh, both at the federal and at the state level. Uh, one of the challenges is that uh, we have a limited supply, and when you have a limited supply, that means you've got to prioritize and you've got to make sure you're giving it to those uh, with the greatest needs or those with the greatest risk. And that's a challenge in and of itself. Uh, secondly, you do have some reluctance and that creates some complications. We're focusing on our long-term care facilities and uh, that has to have consents in many instances and that slows up the process. Uh, but even with that, uh, we have to do better. Mm -hmm. We have to act with a sense of urgency uh, and uh, we can do that. We have to learn whenever you're in a, uh, a battle uh, that you have to adjust uh, to the circumstances of that battle. And right, right now, we're going to have to make some adjustments in the plan to get these vaccines out. Well, you heard the head of Operation Warp Speed say that they were working under the assumption that there is a plan in place to immunize at the state level. Was there not a plan in Arkansas? I mean, that seems to be the implication here that it is the governors who are dropping the ball. No, there has there is a plan. And uh, that plan has been coordinated at the federal level. But let me uh, lay it out for you. In phase one, uh, we're supposed to be doing our health care workers and we're doing our long-term care facilities, residents and staff. Uh, the federal government uh, allocates that based upon where we want it to go, but they're working through the pharmacies. And they made a contract with Walgreens and with CVS, two major chain pharmacies, but the states can, are, are the local uh, long-term care facilities can opt out. 60% of ours opted out for independent pharmacies. They're doing a better job of getting it out than the chain pharmacies. They're acting with more urgency. And so that's an example of where I've learned that whenever you look now at the challenges with a specific population, what it's going to be like when we move to essential workers and whenever we move yeah. to the general population, we're going to have to utilize more resources to get this out than we've got planned right now. What have the other states told you is their difficulty? Is it all the same that you're laying out, the problems of the nursing homes? Uh, yes, it is uh, the, the challenge of the uh, work staff, the fact that we don't have enough uh, right now for our nurses. Uh, we have to utilize uh, our pharmacies because they have the capability and relationships to get it out. But we're going to have to look more broadly uh, at uh, how to utilize more resources, uh, whether uh, it is uh, utilizing medical personnel that's already strained in terms of our National Guard, uh, whether it is uh, mm -hmm. uh, bringing on uh, pharmaceutical students that can do more in terms of giving these uh, vaccinations out. We've got to increase uh, the uh, capacity mm -hmm. of our human resources. You have the world's largest retailer headquartered in your home state. They have a massive logistics hub. Have you asked Walmart to help you out? Uh, Walmart is uh, ready to help. Uh, this Would it is be better if the private sector where, took this over? Uh, well, the private sector is very engaged. The private sector is doing it. Uh, both the uh, independent pharmacies as well as the chain pharmacies. And so but if the, the federal government gave directly to them versus it. you, 
the federal government is giving directly to them. All we're doing as a state is telling it where it goes and allocate it. Right. The delivery is directly to the private sector and they're uh, getting it out, but not as fast as we would like. And so it's a partnership and you're gonna see these numbers increase uh, dramatically uh, in the next yeah. week, 10 days. I believe by the end of January, you'll have all of 1A uh, vaccinated and we'll be moving on to essential workers, if not sooner than that. Okay, I ask you that because the head of Operation Warp Speed again said allocation came down to what the governors asked for and where they told them to send it. So it just continues to be ping pong here. Um, so on the federal guidance though, no, it, it's, that it's, is it's saying the same thing, Margaret. It's saying the same thing. We are allocating where it goes. They deliver to where we say, and that's to the private sector right now. Okay. The federal government right now is telling states to prioritize people 75 years old and up along with frontline workers. There are state governors, Florida, Texas, who have moved the age uh, qualification downwards, right, to hit more of their elderly population. Are you going to do that or are you going to stick with what the federal government's telling you to do? We're looking at reducing that to 70 uh, as well. Uh, the argument that uh, it should be allocated 75 uh, and up first is because there's a limited supply. It might be easier for you to distribute it and know exactly who you're distributing it to. But the 70 uh, and up population we're looking at, we're trying to save lives, getting to the most vulnerable first. And so we're still uh, looking at that as to whether that should be lowered. That decision will be forthcoming. So you may endorse what Governors Abbott and DeSantis are doing? We're looking at that. Okay. It may happen. Uh, we're also looking at some other uh, modifications to the recommendation of the CDC, which is simply recommendations to the governors. Okay. Governor Hutchinson, thank you very much, and good luck to you. Thank you, Margaret. We want to go now to former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He's also on the board at Pfizer, and he joins us from Westport, Connecticut. Good morning to you. Good morning. You said January is going to be the hardest month. Um, I'm, I'm looking at the slower than expected rollout and this new strain of coronavirus. Does all of this come together to mean that the peak will be extended, that this is going to be painful for a longer period? It's possible. Um, you know, we were hoping that we'd have more injections in people's arms at this point, and the vaccine could be starting to have an impact on the trajectory of the epidemic. And the new variant certainly creates more risk that this uh, epidemic peak could get extended. We're going to see the epidemic probably peak at some point this month, um, hopefully earlier in the month. I mean, that was the original estimates and the original modeling. But the lag in terms of the effect on the healthcare system is going to be about three weeks. And so the healthcare system is not going to see maximal resource utilization until closer to the end of the month. And that's when we're likely to see um, the peak number of deaths on a daily basis as well. So we still have a ways to go with this current surge of this epidemic until we start to see cases decline, hospitalizations start to decline, and hopefully deaths start to decline. The new variant does create a lot of risk, however, that we start to see accelerated spread. What new risks? Dr. Slowey said that it seems the vaccines do work against it. What risks are you seeing? Well, we're not vaccinating quickly enough to create a backstop against the spread of this new variant. Right now, there's some estimates that the new variant probably represents about 1% of all infections in this country. By March, it's going to be the majority of infections. It's going to grow quickly. 
And so one of the, the real key to um, controlling this new variant is to control the epidemic. That means doing the things that we've been doing, mask wearing, social distancing. But it also means getting more people vaccinated quickly. I think that the, the existence of this new variant that spreads more readily really creates more urgency around trying to get this vaccine out more quickly and get more people vaccinated, even if it's a more general population. There's a lot of excess demand for the vaccine right now, particularly in the elderly population. I think we ought to think about moving quickly through these phases that we've delineated and move more quickly into a general vaccination program for those 65 and above. I, I thought it was interesting Governor Hutchinson sort of leaned into that concept, saying they were looking at what the governors of Florida and Texas have done with making this available to other age populations at this point. Um, would you ask of other governors to do that? Because Governor DeSantis was really kind of uh, hit hard by, you know, images of long lines of older people waiting. It didn't seem to be moving quickly in terms of vaccinations, though he widened the number of people who qualify for it. Well, I think we can have a dual strategy here. We continue to prioritize certain hard to reach communities and have public health departments focus on that mission. And they're uniquely um, skilled to do that mission and then make the vaccine more generally available through the retail pharmacies, through Walmart and Walgreens and CVS to a broader population, to a general population, starting with age. We can walk it down the age continuum, make it available for 75 and above first, then 70 above, then 65 and above. There's 50 million Americans 65 and above. A large percentage of them probably want to be vaccinated. At some point, we need to allow supply to meet demand here and get the, the shots into the arms of the people who really want to get vaccinated and are going to go out and seek out the vaccination. If we're pushing it through the retail pharmacies, you're not going to see the long lines. They're going to have a scheduling system in place, and it's going to be a more orderly distribution. And in commensurate with that, we can have the public health departments focusing on the critical mission of going into homes, reaching harder to access communities, people who are more reluctant and need a little bit more encouragement to get vaccinated, that's someplace where the public health establishment can really focus on um, a discernible mission. But explain that because you have Operation Warp Speed saying it is working with the private sector. You had the, go the governor of Arkansas saying they are working with the private sector. Are you saying that the private sector should just take it over at this point? Well, look, we've, we have 40 million vaccines that, that were delivered in December. 5 million were injected into arms. That's 35 million vaccines sitting on a shelf somewhere. I'm saying that we can be delivering these vaccines directly to Walmart and Walgreens. And in New Jersey, they're shipping them through ShopRite and allow these retail establishments to start opening up more general vaccination programs for the broader public instead of working very slowly through these preordained phases that we've, we've articulated continue to accomplish that mission because it's important, but also take some of this excess supply and push it through a retail um, channel to the general public. If someone who's 70 years old or 65 years old wants to schedule an appointment at CVS to get a vaccination, they should be able to do that this month. So I think we should start working through the age brackets and just work our way down until we work off some of this supply. There's more vaccine coming on the market every day. We're going to have a significant um, backlog right now or, you know, warehouse um, inventory of vaccines. And that's tragic mm -hmm. because these could be accomplishing an important public health purpose. Right. Uh, well, because Operation Warp Speed is already uh, stockpiling half, more than half of the supply that they have. Um, I, what about vaccine hesitancy? The, the governor of Ohio said 60 percent of nursing home staff members offered the vaccine in his state, declined it. You're seeing similar hesitancy elsewhere. These are medical personnel and healthcare staff, and they're saying no. 
Yeah, look, that's another reason to be making this more generally accessible. It is a reality that some people aren't going to want to get vaccinated or are going to be reluctant to get vaccinated. It's going to take more work. Um, there's about 150 million Americans who get vaccinated for flu each year. About 60 million of them are under the age of 15. So that's about 90 million people who get vaccinated for flu. I think that's your low-hanging fruit for getting COVID vaccinations out. Some high proportion of the people who get a flu vaccine are also going to get a COVID vaccine. If we just simply make this generally accessible to 65 and above this month, that's 50 million Americans probably about 30 million of them will take it. That's your low-hanging fruit. That's the pent-up demand. We need to start working that off because trying to push it into, you know, very discrete populations, you're going to be bumping up against people who don't want it, and it's going to create friction. It's going to create um, a slowdown in trying to get this vaccination out. We need to get more people vaccinated quickly and recognize that every vaccination mm -hmm. at this point really is a public health win. All right, Dr. Gottlieb, thank you for your analysis. We turn now to Joanne Jenkins. She is the CEO of the American Association of Retired Persons. You know it as AARP, and she's at their headquarters in Washington this morning. Good morning to you. Good morning, Margaret. December was a very deadly month uh, during this pandemic, particularly for nursing home residents. Um, the federal government plan is to have pharmacies uh, like CVS and Walgreens set up clinics to vaccinate inside of these facilities. Um, and it started in about 36 states just this past week. Is it moving fast enough? Well, I think by every uh, questionable that it has not moved fast enough that, you know, 40 percent of the people who have died in this country live in nursing homes. And so we see this really as an unconscionable national disaster uh, that 350,000 people in this country have died from uh, COVID-19 and 40 percent of them have lived in nursing homes or work in nursing homes. And yet they only represent one percent of the population. So, no, we're not moving fast enough. I didn't hear a lot of specifics from um, from the, the governor or from the head of Operation Warp Speed on what they want to change. And I'm wondering from you what your view is, because we did hear earlier in the week from Operation Warp Speed saying that some nursing homes aren't vaccinating until they have enough doses for everyone in the facility. That's a federal requirement. Should the government suspend it? Well, I think that, you know, if you look at the data and the fact that that's where people are dying, you have to come to the conclusion that they should be doing everything that they can to be administering this vaccine as soon as possible. I know that uh, there are 2.2 million doses that have gone out to nursing homes, uh, and yet only 13 percent of that has been administered. And so we have to find a solution. And, you know, we need to stop pointing fingers and, uh, and uh, yeah. you know, looking at who, who's to blame and really all of us, whether it's mayors or governors or uh, the uh, federal or governors all across this country, to really try to fix this problem. So that's a yes. They should lift that requirement? Absolutely. Yes. Um, at the state level, you, you heard uh, a debate about whether the age qualification should be lowered more quickly, uh, like it has been in Texas and in Florida. Would you ask other governors to do that? Well, I think if you look at the data of where people are dying and if, in fact, we can stop uh, people from dying of COVID, we know that that will uh, offer some relief to the hospitals all across this country. We have examples that we're hearing from thousands of our members, particularly like those in Florida uh, who are uh, standing in lines, uh, three, four hundred of them at three and four o'clock in the morning trying to, to get that vaccination. Uh, I think that we have to really solve this issue and really 
really come together so that there is some standard uh, for which the states and the local uh, uh, nursing homes know how they're going to get this vaccine and what it is they're supposed to be doing. There's confusion. I mean, I know people who, who ask, where do I find out when I qualify? What do you tell your members? Do they call their doctor? Do they get an email? Who do they ask? Their local health department? Well, I think one of the things that we've tried to do at AARP is, you know, we have aarp.org slash coronavirus, where we're listing everything that we have from the states about what, how the vaccine, the priorities in each of the states, how they're going to be able to get their vaccinations. Clearly, we're hearing directly from our members that they're confused about whether or not they should be calling their physician, whether or not someone's going to contact them, uh, which of the vaccines should they be trying to take if they live in rural America or in an urban city. Uh, just how that's going to happen. And I think that there could be some simple clarity and transparency about what is to be expected in the time frame that uh, individuals all across this country should be thinking about. Uh, clearly, we need to keep up the protections of wearing masks and washing our hands and doing all of those things. We shouldn't let our guard down. Uh, but there needs mm -hmm. to be further clarity about and, and expectations set about when this uh, vaccines are going to be administered widely. Do you think that staff in nursing homes should be mandated to take the vaccine? Well, I think that uh, the data tells us that that's where the deaths are occurring uh, and that for patients and people who work in nursing homes, uh, they need to be protected in a way. But clearly it's not it's not ours to, to so mandate a vaccine. Governors would have to mandate that, right? Is that what you're asking governors to do? Well, I think that we're saying to the governor said that, that this is a way to bring it under control and that uh, while we at AARP don't have the authority to, to mandate this, that this is uh, one, of the, one of the only ways that we have that we know that this, uh, this particular COVID-19 uh, disease can be brought under control. Right. And it may come down to employers. Uh, Joanne Jenkins, thank you very much uh, for, for sharing what you're seeing out there. We'll be right back with a look at Tuesday's Georgia Senate race it's an important one. Don't go away. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. In Georgia, a pair of runoff elections on Tuesday will decide control of the U.S. Senate and shape the agenda of the incoming Biden administration. Here's our senior national correspondent, Mark Strassman. Republicans have a New Year's resolution. Keep Georgia red as its clay. We have to hold the line here against socialism. We need y'all to get out and vote. In dual runoffs here, if Republican Senators Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue both lose, 
Democrats will seize control of the Senate. It would be a 50-50 split, with Vice President-elect Kamala Harris breaking any tie vote. The whole country is watching Georgia voters to see what we will do at this historic moment. Democrats John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock each have raised more than $100 million over the last two months. Their blitzkrieg of ads called both Republicans corrupt. Looting Leffler and Chicken Purdue. You can either help Kelly Leffler to help herself, or you can help me to help you. More than three million Georgians have already voted, some in lines almost four hours long. The wild card? President Trump's groundless griping about election fraud here and its impact on Republican turnout this Tuesday. I don't believe you lost Georgia. No, I don't. Over the weekend, the president tweeted Georgia's runoffs were illegal and invalid. Billboards urge resentful Republican voters to stay home in a moment when state and national GOP leaders need those voters to turn out. My family, my nation, our way of life depends upon you. President Trump will hold a runoff rally in North Georgia tomorrow. But many Republicans here worry it could do more harm than good. In dueling last-minute rallies, President Trump and President-elect Biden will both campaign in Georgia tomorrow. Senator David Perdue will likely miss his stage time with Mr. Trump. Perdue is quarantining after being exposed to a staffer with COVID. So far, he's tested negative. Margaret? Mark, thanks. And as our new senior national correspondent, Mark will continue to report regularly for us here at Face the Nation. That's it for us today. Thank you for watching. Until next week, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Chief Advisor of Operation Warp Speed, Dr. Monsef Slawi, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti, Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, and the CEO of AARP, Joanne Jenkins. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also broadcast on our digital network, CBSN. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. 
This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.